one of the four major episodes, I would say, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, the universal, someone calls them the universal chapters, chapters dealing with universal issues before the, cho- the choice or the, cho- the chosenness of Abraham Avinu, of Abraham, the patriarch. And this fourth story, the major story, the story of what is called Dor HaFlaga, or the Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel, the very complex, very um, odd story. And essentially, as the Torah reads, after giving us a simpler genealogy or explanation of how so many nations came to be, so much diversity came to be, we have in chapter 10 all of the different nations, the 70 so-called archetypal nations listed, each one Right, and his ancestors. We have in chapter 11, And it was that the earth had the same language. Everyone on earth, kol ha'aretz, had one language and the same words, is the way that they translated here in the JPS. It's a very odd construction, dvarim achadim. The word achadim is itself a paradox. To make of the word one, Many, the plural of ones, achadim, it appears two other times in Tanakh, itself is, as Leon Cass and others have pointed out very beautifully, um, a subversion of language itself using language to subvert itself. And there are all kinds of literary uh, allusions to that, the power of words here in chapter 11, the power of language. Of course, it is the chapter of technology and civilization and how, what civilization is and how it becomes and so on. And in some very powerful way, the chapter will allude to language and the importance of language and the undoing of language. But we won't be touching that. <laughs> what we will be touching is a, a brief survey of two thinkers and how they work with this chapter, with this story. So I mentioned Leon Cass in his book, um, The Beginning of Wisdom. He writes that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis has four alternative conditions of human life. The first one, he writes, is simple innocence, the absence of human self-consciousness. And that's, of course, the Garden of Eden story. Right? Destroyed by newly enlarged desires of mind and autonomy, taking to themselves knowledge of good and evil, they are expelled and beginning the next state. The next state of consciousness, he writes, is life without law, essentially anarchy, but based on an internalized knowledge of good and evil. Eve gives birth to Cain, and Cain's sacrifice and his jealousy, his wounded pride, the murder of his brother. Life without law or anarchy, based on an internalized sense of good and evil, but without any external structure, that is the second stage, he says, from innocence to that. And with the death of, of, of Hevel or of, of Abel, life under primordial law, when man emerges from the state of nature, that is essentially the Noah story. New law is imposed from the outside based upon covenant and Brit, Brit covenant or law, What was intended to be passed down universally from father to son clearly fails when the relationship between Noah and his sons is clearly not sufficient for that transmission. 
And thus we begin, right, the 11th chapter before the choice of Abraham with the dispersion of peoples, each living under its own law or customs and choosing of one people, right? That's the biblical or patriarchal way of approaching these 11 chapters. Moving from innocence to anarchy to law superimposed from the outside to the choice of Abraham and that mission. Okay. I'd like to explore more deeply the second thinker. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Lord Jonathan Sachs from England in his book, Conversations with Genesis, makes a different claim. He too has a a hierarchy or developmental arc in the 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, but his arc is slightly different. His arc moves this way. Essentially, he writes that if one were to look at the Tower of Babel story, you very clearly see a reintroduction of the Genesis narrative, the first chapter of Genesis. The envelope of the chapter is it begins with kol ha'aretz, all of the aretz, all of the land, and then it ends with kol ha'aretz, all of the land. And in between the phoneme, the, the, um, the, the, the soundbite or the essential root, shame, shin mem, appears over and over and over again as, as a, a leitmotif, as a word that is to grab our ear, as, all, as the Torah is constantly trying to do, grab your ear. The Torah was meant to be spoken. So you hear the word shame, shame, shamayim, shame, shame, over and over again, and you couple it together with aretz, which begins and ends the chapter, and you have, right, breshit baralim et shamayim et aretz, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. And he reads chapter 11, as others do, he's not unique in this way, he reads chapter 11 as essentially, the Tower of Babel story is essentially the desire of human beings to return to that godlike place, to bridge heaven and earth, to once again take the place of God in some way. Much as, of course, God was afraid that that would happen in the Genesis story. Human beings arrogating to themselves power that is beyond their capacity. An explosion of power without any sense of a larger vision, a larger code, a larger moral possibility. And he reads this story beautifully, I think, as a story about ontology or about being, a misunderstanding of the very role or the essential characteristic of what it is to be human, what it is to be a human being. And with that in hand, and he has many sources for that, he then reads the 11 chapters this way. The story of Adam and Chava, he sees as a denial of personal responsibility. A denial of personal responsibility. The subsequent story of Cain and Abel, Cain Vehevel, is a denial of moral responsibility. Right? Cain doesn't say, I didn't do it. He says, am I responsible? He doesn't deny personal responsibility as, as Adam and Chava said, wait a second. Moral responsibility, it is, of course, your responsibility. You are responsible for your fellow person, for your brother, for sure. The story of Noah and the flood, he sees as a denial of collective responsibility. Reading it as we did last night in that thread of the Talmudic uh, or the rabbinic tradition where Noah is not seen as such a righteous individual. Right? Bidorosav, right, in his generation, but if he would have been in other generations, wouldn't have been so great. 
He didn't take collective responsibility. He didn't say, okay, I'm being saved. My, fa- my family, my wives, my, my wife, my sons, and my son's wives. But what about everybody else? What's with everybody else, Noah? And here he says the story of Bavel is a denial of ontological responsibility. And ontological responsibility means that the human being arrogates to himself being godlike. That there's no sense of the deeper humility and the deeper essential shame that comes with knowing where you begin and where you end. To deny ontological responsibility is to think that you are, that in some very deep existential way you are alone. There is nothing greater than your power. Your power is the power. There's no check on it. To deny ontological responsibility is technology can solve every problem. And in fact, all we need is more means and we'll have more happiness. He quotes the Nitziv, Naftali Tzvi Huda Berlin, the great thinker, who says that here is the first moment of totalitarianism in the story of the Tower of Babel. Everybody was one language. Why? Because diversity, diversity was, was suppressed. Freedom of expression was suppressed. Everything had to answer to that one glowing headline. Technology saves the day. Power, human power, saves the day. There's no check on it. And hence he says, this story is the last story before Abraham, who comes along to acknowledge that there is a power greater than the idols that we create. There's a power greater than those human-made structures However great the ziggurats were, and however great the towers were, however great everything is that human beings create with their hands, we lift our hands and say, not in my hands, God, but yours. So it is with that intention that I'd like to call forward for the first kavanah. Uh, for all of those, this is a group aliyah. We do have individual aliyah, but this group aliyah is for anyone here who feels called this morning to stand with the Torah as we read the beginning of this story, to say in a very deep way that you are opening yourself to the natural shame that comes with being human, being human, that all of our attempts to play God inevitably leave us feeling not only not God, but less than human. To be fully human is to acknowledge our limitations. So if acknowledging limitations is a kavanah that speaks to you this morning, please come forward for the first aliyah.